With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. On Tuesday, I hosted a Vaccine Safety Relief Foundation uh, fundraiser for Steve Kirsch and, and the Vaccine Safety Relief Fund, um, you know, that helps the vaccine injured. And, and Steve was talking about this speech he was going to give at MIT on Thursday, where he said he had data that was um, impossible to deny the fact that the COVID jabs were killing large amounts of people. And two people that were at that speech at MIT is uh, with are with us here now. John Bodwin is the author of The Real CDC and the father of three men for whom he spent all of his meaningful life caring. John has a master's degree in business administration and a bachelor's degree in computer science and systems engineering. Kevin McKernan is the CSO and founder of Medicinal Genomics and has pioneered the genomics of cannabis and hemp to build a stronger scientific environment for the study of cannabis-based therapeutics and blockchain technologies for tracking and verifying cannabis genetics. They're both uh, outspoken about COVID jab madness, and I wanted to get their take on what they thought of Steve Kirsch's speech at MIT. So John and Kevin, welcome to the show. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Thank you, Joseph. Doing well. You go, Kevin. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for coming on, guys. I, you know, the uh steve kirsch we all know is uh so outspoken in regards to um trying to bring justice to uh the mrna madness and trying to get these shots taken off the shelves i I, i'm a big believer that they should be i think they're obviously harmful for people i think um that evidence seems obvious um just in all the early deaths we've seen the people dying suddenly but I don't know, you guys probably heard us on the Vaccine Safety Relief Foundation uh, fundraiser and, and Steve talking about how Thursday he's going to give this amazing speech and you guys were there. So give me your insights and what you think it meant. Do you think it will um, change the game and what do you think the fallout's been? Kevin, let's start with you. Oh, all right. Well, for those who didn't attend or if you saw the video, you probably probably couldn't see who was in attendance. It was a, it was a packed room, which was good to see. Um, so the, the audience there was from all over New England. And um, it was, a I think, a vibrant discussion, even to, even at the end of his talk, he, you know, sent the microphone around and you could hear stories from everyone in New England about, um, you know, what's obviously in front of us. Um, and then, he, you know, he presented a lot of slides on his most recent data. I have not yet downloaded all that data. And, and I've got it. I've got it downloaded and mirrored, but I haven't like combed through it the way I want to come through it yet just to see if it all lines up with, you know, other measures of New Zealand. But um, I've seen a few other analysis on these. I think um, Ben from U.S. Mortality combed through it and said uh, he sees the signal in the New Zealand data. It's not totally identical to what Steve's showing, but it's it's there's a problem down there. Um, that's clear. Um, I think where everyone is um, right now digging into is how do you verify the provenance of the data? Like, it, it, it came from someone who apparently worked on the inside and had some access, but um, it's hard to know if there's data missing, if it's all there. Um, 
which I think is, I'm glad you have John on as well, because John's been through these databases before, not necessarily the one that Steve's um, have has access to, but the whole challenge we've had in this pandemic is, is data veracity. You can get stuff from the CDC and then you find them deleting stuff. You get things from VAERS and then records go missing. And um, so a lot of these databases just don't have um, any fidelity to them. And the people who are, who are managing them aren't necessarily held, held to account when things change. So um, uh, what you, what John did was something quite unique is he went and grabbed death records out of Massachusetts, which, um, I think are a lot harder for people to manipulate just due to the, the, the law that's involved, but all, all this data together though, um, does begin to show a tale. There's what Steve's looking at in New Zealand. There's what John has. There is the ONS data. There's the Cleveland clinic study. There's just now, uh, you know, hundreds of, of, um, data points out there that show there's a problem. So when you ask, is this going to move the tide? Um, I don't know that data is moving the tide right now, unfortunately. It's, it seems to be um, more six degrees of separation from someone who's injured is moving the tide. There's enough people injured now that somebody knows somebody that was affected by this, and they're starting to pull away from taking these shots. Yeah, well, that's a, a good point. Steve made the point himself that the data wouldn't do it. It's going to have to take someone like Peter Hotez to flip sides. And and he mentioned another name, which I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm sure you guys know. Well, probably but, Paul um, Offit, which, yeah. Uh, Paul no Offit. Chance that's the... that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Paul Offit is the one he always brings up. Yeah. And he says if one of those guys switches, they want to be on the right side of history, they start getting scared of the result of not switching, then that will uh, shift the tide. John, I was on a Twitter space with you um, after something me and five times August, Brad Skistimus did another thing with VSRF. And uh, there was a troll on there. Um, I think, you know, trash talking us musician types for uh, speaking out against the jab. Like, what do we know? And you um, handled that troll with, with exceptionally well. Um, so, what, what's your take on on Steve's new data, and and what what's your whole take on the mRNA thing? You've made it a big priority in your life to battle this. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that that guy uh, goes by Fred. He goes by a bunch of other names that you were talking about. That Twitter troll. Um, he shows up in different spaces and we can't figure out if he's paid, but let's not talk about him. So it went really well. I think Steve's presentation was excellent. Um, it raises awareness. It brings publicity to the situation. And no matter what, you know, some people are already on one side or the other. Okay. We want to win the minds who have not yet decided. And they might've decided before, but now they have some issues. They might have some rashes or they might have heart issues. Their heart is not operating properly. Uh, the signals are stepping on each other. PQRST, you've seen a heart monitor. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on that people are wondering, why, why can't I run the five-minute mile anymore? Why am I now at 545? You know, why, why am I, they don't know that they're going to die 20 years earlier. So, raising awareness like Steve did with the New Zealand data and, and making making it a um a topic for the dinner table or you know out, outside of Hamas and Israel and trying to break the narrative that they're trying to steer us toward and bring it toward what we know which is I know at least 225,000 people in the United States died from this jab um it's more like a million <clears throat> but I I can show 225 through Medicare data I can show 338 but I can't talk about that because Steve told me not to talk about it 
um, different data. <laughs> so so the, the answer is it was good. And there are going to be people that say, well, there's data fidelity issues. That's fine. Um, Kevin mentioned that I, I also do data. I don't do what Professor Norman Fenton does or Ben Martin from U.S. Mortality. They can do much better job than I can. So I don't do p-value statistics and and bring numbers out that the regular people can't understand. What I do is I took uh, 500,000 death certificates unredacted from Massachusetts obtained on a state FOIA, and I looked through every cause of death, and I found that the causes of death that were up in 2020 were respiratory, like pneumonia, like you would expect from a seasonal respiratory virus that they purport COVID to be. But then in 21, it switched over. All of a sudden, it's circulatory in blood. You've got thrombocytopenia, can't clot, and then you've got clotting and um, cardiac arrhythmia, cardiac arrest, pulmonary embolism, so clot in your lungs, makes your right ventricle failure, you die. Um, stroke, many types of stroke, both ischemic and hemorrhagic, so clots and bleeds. And I, I've shown these graphically so that anybody, and, and I don't want to say even a musician, because you guys probably visualize stuff even better than regular people. So I would I don't want to diminish your ability to look at uh, notes. But it's kind of like looking at notes, you know, you, you have this crescendo going, and it's like, where's the crescendo coming from? We're supposed to live in a normal society where people die of normal things in normal times. And all of a sudden, you've got much younger people dying from much di many different things that they did not die from with COVID. So, you know, these are the proofs that I can yeah, do I, from a data. Go ahead, Kevin. I was saying that's a, that's a very important point because um, a lot of folks to try to simplify this data will use only mortality statistics because it's binary. It's either dead or you're not. There's no argument over what you have. But when you do have that data like John has, <clears throat> You can see a shift in the the phenotype of the death, um, which is which is important when you're trying to ascertain two overlapping peaks. We've got we've got you know COVID coming through that may have overlapped in some jurisdictions with vaccines going in, and so they always try to blame the vaccine deaths on COVID because they're some they're usually COVID positive. But when you see the symptom right. profiles change, then you see the age demographic change. COVID wasn't killing young people; it was very clearly killing old people. And when, you, when the age demographic shifts like 10 years, 15 years younger, and suddenly it's clotting factors and strokes and all these other things, this is something that's very different. And you can assign and separate those peaks from each other pretty easily. Yeah, absolutely. And it, yeah, it's it's really blatant to anyone paying attention. I mean, it's, you know, you can look at the data, you can look at graphs. I mean, Steve's was like the 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 line goes up for all cause mortality it's that simple it should go down if it's an effective vaccine it goes down it goes up it means the vaccine is killing people but and like you guys both said really the data is not going to convince the sort of uh you know the people that are resisting um awareness in this department we've seen just the brainwashing and the gaslighting from the mainstream media and the types like peter hotez and uh, the other guy you mentioned, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's crazy. I, I don't know what it's going to take because I think a lot of people, it's just more comfortable for them to think, oh, it's long COVID, it's COVID killing people, even though it makes no rational sense. People's ability to deflect rational thought is astounding. So um, if you look at when I give presentations, 
I start off with the data and then I end with the people because I've got somebody captive for a two hour presentation. And I know I want to leave them with the thoughts that this is about people. These aren't just numbers on a page. But in my book, I had to do the opposite because I have to capture people's attention to continue reading the book. And so I start out with people and I end with, with data. Well, I end with solutions after the data. Um, but it, it's, you know, every one of these data points is a person. And when it's a seven-year-old girl or a six-year-old girl and an 11-year-old boy, 12-year-old boy, 12-year-old uh, girl, um, and I'm thinking of names in my head as I say these numbers. I, I know their names. I've seen how many brothers and sisters they have, their parents. Um, I know where their parents work. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's grating. Um, it's sad. And um, they're hidden. Like the seven-year-old girl. Here's an example. Complications of coronavirus 19 viral infection. That's the only thing listed in part one of her death certificate. Complications of what? Now, I look at the VAERS record, and there's only one seven-year-old girl in that time period. There were four in the in the year uh, in Massachusetts, seven-year-old girls. Um, and it, lo and behold, it says she reacted in five minutes from the vaccine. She, she vomited for eight to 10 hours, and then it resolved, and she gets her second vaccine. And then she has another you know stomach pain again, said severe abdominal pain. 103 degree fever, didn't have a bowel movement for three days. And so five days after that second injection, that seven-year-old girl died. And the only thing they write on her death certificate is COVID. So, you know, there's there's that and other evidence that I have. Well, I mean, can much. you imagine getting another shot after the, the results of the first one in that case or being her parent and, and allowing her to get another shot? I, and and I'm, not, I'm not blaming the parent. In Thanks. this case, I'm I'm blaming <clears throat> the the manipulation that we've endured yeah. because that just goes against everything your natural reaction would be. It's like, well, clearly this is like horrendous for her. Please don't take another shot. And yet they go forward with it because the pressure in society was so great. And now we're hearing about this new virus coming out of china that's the lung thing but then i've seen reports that that's also a result of the vaccine do you guys know anything about that you go kevin i i haven't dug much into it because i just assumed it was another one of these scary things i've, I've kind of become immune to the, the the noise that they keep pumping out but um yeah i wouldn't be surprised if there is an immunocompromised population out there now due to this vaccine program and so we're going to start to see all types of, um, you know, diseases that uh, or pathogens that we thought were kept at bay are now suddenly coming to surface, whether it be chickenpox or EBV or, and you can see this in, in some of the VAERS reports, there's, there's known viral reactivation with the vaccines. Uh, and so it wouldn't surprise me if uh, some new pathogens start to emerge that uh, they want to draw a lot of attention to, to repeat the cycle. But um I haven't, uh, I'm not buying masks and running around stocking out for pandemic two here. This sounds like uh, we've seen this movie before. Hey, Kevin, can I ask you a question yeah. about, uh, <laughs> so we know from studies that uh, there's neutropenia, leukopenia, leukopenia, it seems that there's lymphopenia after COVID per se, COVID the disease. But but we yes. know that for a number of days, your, your neutrophils and uh, leukocytes drop. Um, have, do you know of any studies? I think I just posted this. I don't know if you read it. Um, do you know of any studies that differentiate among the, you know, the monocytopenia and the leukopenia, the, the lymphopenia, neutropenia, which, which white cells 
are dropping? And is it after vax or after COVID? And are there any legitimate studies? Because it seems to me that all the studies are corrupted because they're trying to show that COVID's doing it when we know the vaccine's doing it. What, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so two data points. The Pfizer's RCT showed uh, neutropenia and lymphocytopenia a few days after the vaccination. So that that was in their trial. And then the other person I point to is Bruce Patterson's lab. He's looked at CD8 and CD4 positive cells. Uh, and those, they do change a little bit differently between the virus and the vaccine. I can't remember which way it goes, but one of them, one of them drops one type of CD cell more than the other. Um, I'll try and find that paper for you and, and post it on that thread, but, um, Thank there's, you. there is, there's a difference. So Joseph, what, reason- do those, what do those penia words mean for those of us that don't know penia speak? Uh, lack of <laughs> penia. <laughs> yeah. Well, lack lack of. Of. Yeah, okay. it could be low platelets, like, you know, limp, uh, thrombocytopenia, your thrombocytes are your platelets that help you clot. So if okay. you're low, if you're low in those, you have thrombocytopenia and thrombocytopenia is through the roof in terms of post vaccination, not COVID, but post vaccination. Um, in fact, one of the papers that was written about um, Brianna, who was 30 years old in Massachusetts, it, it says... <clears throat> and she didn't have thrombocytopenia. She had an ischemic stroke. Um, but it says, this is not a CVST, which is cerebral venous sinus thrombosis. That's a, that's another, it's a type of pressure um, hemorrhagic stroke. Your head's trying to push your, your, your brain down through your neck, basically. So um, the thrombos, it says in that report where thrombocytopenia is frequent. Okay, frequent. From the COVID vaccines. Now, two weeks before Brianna died, Diane Dubois died at 62 from acute intracranial hemorrhage in the setting of thrombocytopenia. And then five weeks after Brianna, this is all Massachusetts. Just math. Now, this is where the death records are important because you can go to the record level source data. And um, Eden was a 17-year-old girl. She had a headache right after she got the vaccine. So bad she went to the doctor. In fact, she went to the doctor twice in a week. And when the headache resolved, I'm sorry to tell you, Joseph, she got the second shot and she died from a cerebral venous sinus thrombosis. That's what I mean. The That's report crazy. about Brianna tells of two things, thrombocytopenia and CVST. One was two weeks before Brianna. The other was five weeks after Brianna. That's three women in three months in one state, all died from stroke. And the report is from the uh, Harvard Medical College, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, six doctors. And the title is fatal post-COVID mRNA vaccine associated cerebral ischemia, meaning the vaccine killed her by stroke. Now, if the public knows about this, they won't touch these vaccines. And then there's a 12-year-old girl who also died of a stroke we found uh, last summer. All right. Well, I mean, let me take a quick break. That, well, let me let me let me let me cut you off real quick. Go to a quick break. We'll be right back after these words on TNT. You should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about. I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, "Well, that seems bad for the you know when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads 
leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system? It's kind of hard to know where to start, right? Where would you suggest we even begin with this process? Yeah, it's funny you said that because someone said to me recently and it made me laugh that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the Burger King's still open. I think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security in that everything when we go to the city kind of appears normal unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities. But for most people, I would say, Charlie, it feels normal, but it ain't normal. <laughs> the world yeah. is not normal. It's completely gone off kilter. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. When a crisis hits close to home and across the globe, nonprofits are on the front lines ready to serve. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. The demand for charitable services has skyrocketed, and nonprofits are rising to meet the needs. Healing. Nurturing. Rescuing. Honoring. Protecting. Caring. Inspiring. The work of philanthropic organizations of all sizes, across all missions, has never been more important. And it's donors and volunteers like you who make all this possible. Thank you. Together, we change the world. The Nonprofit Alliance. Listen up! Now listen, we gotta talk. It's what we do best. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Back with John Bodwin and Kevin McKernan. And so when Steve gave his speech at MIT, was there a lot of pushback in the room? Was there any pushback in the room or was it all just, I mean, I did watch it on the internet. There was like 5,000 people tuning in live on Rumble. Um, but uh, what was the what was the energy in the room like? Uh, we were in- I'd say he had, the, yeah, a lot of support there. There, you know, I think Randall Brock, Dr. Randall Brock, stood up just to try to do devil's advocate on this and said, "Hey, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater and talk about some of the other vaccines that actually work," um, which which initiated a bit of a debate. And I'm surprised he didn't have you know vegetables thrown at him from the audience because I don't think there was many takers for it there. But uh, he he's not necessarily a, a pro-vax individual. I've met him. He's toured through our laboratory. He was just trying to. Uh, do the right thing and having some academic back and forth on uh, on the topic. Uh, and other than that, I thought there was some other good advice that if no one's going to come to debate Steve, he should save that money for whistleblower protection, put bounties out for mm. people to release more data, data that's, you know, that, that he can have stronger um, fidelity uh, uh, assessments of if need be, or uh, whistleblowers like Brooke Jackson or others that are, we need more people to step forward. And someone did actually in the audience from, from WPI, I'm forgetting his name, but a, a professor from WPI stood up and I think there's a good video of him floating around um, Twitter just to say that he, he's seen seven kids, they claim commit suicide at WPI, but he knows for a fact, one of them was not suicide. They're just labeling, uh, you know, these vaccine deaths as potential suicides and they find them dead in their dorm room with nothing else around. And your work in cannabis, you do stuff with PCR testing. That's what alerted you to the COVID sham or the mRNA sham, I guess, basically because you you knew that the the PCR testing was faulty. And so you were alerted and that became you became sort of, uh, I don't know, passionate about this whole thing, Kevin. Yes. Yes. So I've been in the genomics field for 25 years and um, 
when I saw what they rolled out, they, they jammed a paper through peer review in 24 hours where the authors were on the, were on the editorial board and they had um, financial interest in a testing company. So by getting this protocol out, they got it on the WHO's website before it was even through peer review. Um, they put a test out that didn't have any internal control, which is insane. You, you can't run PCR without internal control. Uh, what the internal control tells you is whether you've harvested humans or, or dogs or goats or anything, right? Uh, if you don't know that you've harvested how much human tissue you've harvested, you can't really count a viral load. You really need to measure the viruses per cell, not just how many viruses your PCR can pick up. So when I saw that, I, I wrote um, uh, some papers to, to, to scrutinize that paper some more. It, it fell on deaf ears, but uh, I mean, it was heavily downloaded, but it didn't change necessarily the course of the pandemic, uh, other than to bring a lot of spotlight to the fact that PCR does not test in the absence of a physician. It, it tells you if you have RNA or DNA around, it doesn't tell you if you're symptomatic or asymptomatic. In fact, most of the time when you're PCR positive, you are recovered. So it can actually do more harm to the pandemic because you're pulling people out of the herd that are already over it. And those are the very people you need in the herd. Uh, so it had a counterproductive effect, I think, in the whole uh, pandemic management by tagging people who were already recovered as opposed to getting people who are infectious. And the people leading this charge know this stuff. This isn't like new information. You're not you're not giving them mind blowing information. So, I mean, how oh, nefarious do you think this whole yeah. this whole agenda has been? Well, so the thing is, money can explain a lot of it. And I, I don't know if how pre-planned it is. Obviously, there's a lot of that agenda 201 stuff that went on. But um, the, the the thing that happened is they put in contact tracing. So every time you found a positive, you'd get two to three other family members to come in. So they're financially motivated to turn the sensitivity all the way up to CTs of 40 so that they cast a huge net on contact tracing. Uh, so every time you call positive, you're going to get three more tests that you can pull in. If you call positives on those, it goes exponential really fast. So there's a, there's billions and billions of dollars in this testing game. Uh, and I'm certain many of them knew that it, without you know testing without internal controls and calling people at late CTs was just uh, a, a way of ensuring a revenue train that was never going to stop. Right. And and Kirsch is a dreamer. I, this is I relate to him. He's got kind of an artistic personality. I mean, people like, you know, make fun of musicians who speak on this thing. But and Steve is is, is an incredible data analysis. And he invented the the, the optical mouse or whatever. And but he, he, I, I'm saying he's like an artist because his excitement over this speech he was going to give, like, this is the game changer. This is going to do it. This is going to finally be the thing that turns the tide and i've had that experience over the last few years a bunch of times hearing about something that was like well that's it this is obvious now everyone's going to see this and yet it doesn't really shift at least sort of um along the cultural narrative lines we there was like a three percent uptake in the latest booster so apparently everybody is doubting this vaccine however it's still not being sort of widely reported as such uh, uh you know amongst like the peter hotez types you know what i'm saying so john what do you think do you think this moved the needle at all or you know so to speak um, I did a few presentations for uh, Children's Health Defense, and they they went back and looked at something I had said in January 2021, and um, that was, this won't end until everybody knows somebody. So if you understand how strong the propaganda is against us um, and, and how 
you know, it, it isn't going to be one big thing that just changes everybody unless CNN and MSNBC and Fox News and all the mainstream flip all the over 60 year olds who are the only ones who watch those anymore. Um, and I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Right. So, um, you know, I, I, it moved the needle. Um, of course, I'm hoping that my book in three weeks is going to move the needle. Also, uh, the CDC memorandum, I'm, I'm not going to wait for the people. I can't wait for the people because kids are dying. And w- what kind of person would I be if I waited for, you know, another big event, uh, another, another data dump. I have enough data to hang all these guys. And so the CDC memorandum is the second publication I'm doing, but before it's re- redacted and published, it's going with all the names to the directors of the CDC, FDA, NIH, 12 of their underlings, along with six state attorneys general. And I hope to get it before at least two grand juries I have in mind that I have uh, an ability to get it in front of. Um, and now Ken Paxton just sued, um, from texas you know the attorney general just sued pfizer he should very much want this 250 page package i have uh more evidence than anywhere in the world in 250 pages and it's hard it's not statistics it's not stuff that's debatable this is irrefutable um so i agree with what you said it's tough it's tough to uh get everybody um, on board to to shift an entire narrative in in the eyes of uh society but um if I get anything from a grand jury, then, you know, we're talking criminal. This is all crimes. And what happened with the CARES Act, the CARES Act is a behavior modification. It's not, oh, we want to save people. So we're going to we're going to allocate money from the taxpayers to go to all these hospitals and doctors so that they can treat people with COVID. Now, they would have treated the people anyway. What they did was they created an incentive for COVID to be put on a death certificate. They created an incentive for Indesivir to be used. They created an incentive for ventilators to be used. Walter E. Williams, famous economist, unfortunately, we lost him a couple of years ago. Um, he said, uh, if you if you um, incentivize something, you will get more of it. And you do. Yeah. You incentivize the use of ventilators. You get people put on ventilators with 95% oxygen. That's murder. They killed yeah. these people. $15,000 a day, I think hospitals were getting incentivized to use ventilators and remdesivir and all that. I mean, it's insanity. Yep. So you you have a new book. This you're, The book behind you, The Real CDC, is that the old book? And then you have another one? Explain your books and what are they about? All right. So The Real CDC is the new book. It'll be out in hopefully three Oh, that is the weeks. new book. Uh, yeah. Okay. I think it's been three months that I've been saying it's, it'll be out in three weeks. Um, so <laughs> I'm trying to make it by Christmas, you know, sounds about right. Oh, sounds about right for all creative so that, projects. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be about Massachusetts, uh, death certificate data. Um, it's a different kind of analysis than you'll see anywhere. I think the field of epidemiology needs an entire rehaul, um, the, the overhaul, excuse me. Um, we'll, we'll see how it does, but I, I think it's going to be well-received. There's a lot of facts and information in there uh, put in such a way that a regular person can understand. So if you know anybody on the fence, if they read my book, they won't be on the fence anymore. And it's the, the, the subtitle is Public Health Crimes, 2020 to 2022. The CDC memorandum is really written for lawyers and maybe doctors. There's uh, 150 pages of over 400 graphs of various causes of death in waveforms, bar graphs, all types of different graphs, depending on how analytical you are, and 100 pages of factual allegations of actual death certificates with names 
uh, death certificate numbers. I have to redact the names from Minnesota when I publish it. Um, so that'll take me a little bit of extra time after I'm done. And I'm pretty much done tomorrow with it. And then the second book that I, I'm just outlining now is The Real CDC Does Minnesota. And that'll be the, the pandemic is moral, not viral. Because the way all this happened is a lack of morality, a, a break in our moral foundation where doctors will take more risks with the patient's lives in order to not be set upon by the board, the, the licensing boards. They, they do what they're told to do. You know, I think there's one, one thing. Uh, there was a documentary about cable news called Anchorman. <laughs> and in that documentary, uh, Ron Burgundy. That's not a documentary. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I I've seen that, that. Documentary. So it's a documentary. That's a funny one. So, so well, he said, you know, any documentaries are, yeah. So yeah, many of these movies are turning into documentaries. Idiocracy is one as well, but go ahead. Exactly. <laughs> so Ron Burgundy and, says, I'm Ron Burgundy. And then the, the producer says, who put the question mark there? He'll read anything you put on a teleprompter. And I'm telling you now, funny. doctors will prescribe anything <laughs> the CDC tells them to. They don't care if it's going to kill the patient. If the CDC says to do something, doctors will do it because they don't want to be investigated or lose their license. So I was that's blown away. Are. I was blown away by by how the doctors responded to this whole thing, because as a musician, as somebody who just started doing research, this, this thing has been clear for a long time. I mean, it, it's been really clear for a long, long time. And, and I appreciate the work you guys are doing. I appreciate the work Steve Kirsch is doing. Uh, getting the data in front of people really, really like just sort of like brass tacking the case. But really, if anyone's paying attention, you can tell something crazy is happening in our world in terms of all this. And John, I'm, I couldn't help but notice in your bio that you spent the majority of your life raising your sons and that you had tragically lost one of your sons right at the beginning of all this. So I'm really sorry for that loss. Um, and I'm wondering if it was that loss that led you to become a warrior in this regard, because a lot of times in our lives, the most difficult things bring about a real sense of purpose. Is that what happened with you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was sitting on the couch depressed for a couple of years. He, he turned 20, bought a motorcycle and drove into a tree uh, 27 days Damn. later. Um, so he's right here. Um, I am. I knew what it would do to kids. I just, I don't know what it is. I have an awareness that, you know, as soon as they said, we're going to lock people down, I'm like, you're going to, you're going to cause divorces. You're going to cause pathologies in kids. You're going to cause sexual abuse, uh, physical abuse of children and spouses and, and domestic partners. You, marriages can last for 50 years when you're both out of the house eight hours a day and you come back and have dinner together. Right. Yeah. But you lock mm -hmm. two people, adults, male and female in a house every day for six months. And, you know, it's over, man. It's just not the way we were meant to be. Um, it's too close for most people. So it, it's just the negative externalities that it applied to society. I knew immediately would occur. And I wrote about 11 short papers in uh, April and May of 2020. I mean, think about how early that was. Um I had the CDC data, I analyzed it. And so, yeah, losing my son made me kind of go like, you know, you can't do this to kids. You're just destroying families, but you're destroying kids. And then, um, you know, it was the second anniversary of my son's death. And um, 
I had sued the governor over the mask mandate. I had a lawsuit in federal court because I knew the masks were uh, <clears throat> ineffective. I'm an engineer. You know, engineers, they develop the specification for the mask. They design the mask. They design the manufacturing for the mask. They design the quality assurance test fixtures for the mask. Everything to do with the mask is engineers. Doctors put them on their faces. They don't even read the spec on the side of the box. And yet everybody's going to doctors and asking them, do masks work? And the doctor's like, yeah, they work. They don't know. They don't have a clue. They're not engineers. Um, so I sued the governor. He actually changed the law in Massachusetts to get around my lawsuit. And um, my, my son's friends were coming over and I had created a website. I wanted it to be about truth and light, L-I-G-H-T. And um, I tried veritaslux.com, but that was taken and Viralux and Veralux all taken. So I, I Googled truth light and Google just showed, it just came up the way, the truth and the life, L-I-F-E. I'm like, oh, well, that's good too. So I'm like the way you do something is via and uh, Veritas is truth and, and Vita is life in Italian and Latin. So I was like via Veritas Vita, but it was taken. So I pluralized truth via Vera Vita. That's my website. You can actually go to that now via Vera, V-E-R-A, Vita, V-I-T-A. The way, the truth, and the life. Okay, so my son, son's friends were coming over, second anniversary of his death. And I was kind of embarrassed. I didn't know the name of the website. Like, sounds like a Bible thing. So I'm at a red light and I Google way truth life Bible. And um, I, I look at my phone and it says John chapter 14, verse six. My son was born on the 14th day of June, the sixth month. And his name is John. So wow. it's name, name, chapter, verse That's was insane. the website I was steered to by accident. And then I go to put the phone down because the light turned green. And this is all in five seconds. I put the phone down wow. and I hear on the radio, the exact verse, sweet child of mine. All, all in that moment. So wow. name, chapter, verse, sweet child of mine. So, yeah, I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission, Joseph. Dude, and um, that's insane. Let me take a quick break. We'll be right back after these words on TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. As a meteorologist, I look for common threads in the weather. And common threads are absolutely essential when looking at the climate situation. Because, you see, it's not really about climate. Let's take a common thread between Al Gore, Dr. Michael Mann, and our infamous climate ambassador, John Kerry. Al Gore, first of all, his father voted against the civil rights movement. Secondly, Al Gore was the state senator in Tennessee. Guess what's in Tennessee? A state park and a giant monument to the founder of the Ku Klux Klan. How come he didn't see that over there? What about Dr. Michael Mann? saying that climate deniers, and I suppose I'm one of them over there, are a threat to children and grandchildren. Very interesting since he supports policies that have reportedly ended the life of 60 million kids before they came out of the womb, three quarters of them people of color. And then of course, there's John Kerry. That's the man who supposedly threw his medals over the fence at the White House and yet we see him show up at these meetings with all his medals, right? What kind of hypocrisy is that? This is a man who wants us to start in the face of record-breaking food production, somehow or the other, get rid of the agriculture so that we can cut CO2 emissions. You see the common thread between all these people? They're all hypocrites. They all follow the same kind of thing that they do with climates. They're sanctimonious know-nothings, and that's exactly what this is about. 
This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Last week, Brandon met a girl on a dating app. One day after work, he finally found the courage to ask her out. No answer. He started to panic. Was he being too pushy? Maybe it was too... Hey, sorry I didn't respond. I was driving. I would love to go on a date. How does tonight sound? Brandon tried to play it cool, but inside he knew. A girl so smart, so responsible. She must be a keeper. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT, with Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast. Uh, a lot of people on this mission are indeed on missions from God, like John is. I've seen, I've heard that over and over again. John's story is very exceptional in that department, and, and he's got more to it. But Kevin, I wanted to go to you real quick as well, because in order to, you know, do this type of work that you guys are doing, you're putting yourself in harm's way. Any of us that use our voices uh, and speak out against what we know, you know, is the agreed upon narrative, so to speak, puts us in harm's way. Kevin, did you, are you on a similar mission from God or is it, does God have nothing to do with it for you? Well, I don't have as, as uh, compelling of a story there as John has. That's, that's, uh, uh, you know, astronomical odds going on um, to point you in that direction. But I can tell you that uh, 10, maybe 10 years ago, 2011, um, I left my last job. We were, we made a lot of DNA sequencers. I've been involved in all these different genomic companies uh, and just wanted to, you know, change, change tunes a little bit. And that's when I went out and sequenced the cannabis genome. And naturally my whole family was like, what are you doing? You're getting into the cannabis space. You're going to get taken out by some drug cartel. And reality is uh, go, go and sequence a Pfizer vaccine and you'll see real hell depend, you know, descend on you. <laughs> so the cartels wow. uh, in the cannabis space, I'm not worried about the ones in this vaccine space are serious. So it's a lot of money on the table and um, I'm sure John's seen this, but I've certainly seen it online. There's just a never ending barrage of character assassinations that go on. People try to dox your house or your address, find your home. They try to, you know, swat your house. It's, it's uh uh, there, there's a, there's a large cult out there that doesn't want this, uh, uh, doesn't want this information coming out. And I don't know if they're paid. I don't know if they're just part of this Jonestown jab cult that, that wants to defend this at all costs out of guilt, but, um, I've never seen anything like it. So, uh, I wouldn't say that's necessarily what's motivating me. I mean, I, I, uh, I went through an experience with my father getting cancer four years ago or so and watched the entire medical system kind of steer him to his death with chemotherapy and we departed from that and started using cannabinoids and it extended his life like you know four four years uh so um he's not with us anymore but um it was uh it was an experience to see uh you know there there is no pause in them handing you medicine that mimics the symptom of the disease so that the family and the patient is completely lost as to whether or not they're getting better or getting worse. And they get stuck in the spiral of taking more of the medicine that's creating more of the symptoms that is you're told is, is, is going to cure. But um, yeah, you have to, the, the healthcare system needs to be decentralized. And uh, part of that means people need to be more vested in their health and less vested in what authorities tell them is their health. Uh, and that's, a, that's going to be a change for, I think, a lot, for a lot of Americans. Well, they need to know that they have the power to do a lot for their health, but they're just not taught these things. They're not taught about water fasting. They're not taught about 
um, you know, how important exercise is daily, even sort of connection with God or meditation, stuff like this. I mean, you know, we're we're designed exceptionally well. Our immune systems are incredible. And that got all thrown out completely. But so you got into the weed business. Were you a big Bob Marley fan? What happened? Or do you smoke weed yourself <laughs> or do you just uh, do you just sequence it? What what's going on? So uh, where th this started because we were building DNA sequencers that could finally sequence someone's tumor and their genome and figure out like what mutations were different between the two. Then you could ideally steer them toward personalized therapy that would kill their tumor. Challenges is in, is in the uh, you know, the oncology space is most of the drugs you have to choose from are all toxins and it's really hard. You're threading this needle between killing the patient and killing the tumor and the personalized medicine side of this of sequencing is is left a little bit um, uncovered, if you will. So uh, that's when I had a lot, a few, few of my friends who were coming down with cancer and kept pointing me toward these resources that, hey, cannabinoids aren't just like treating the symptoms, they're actually shrinking tumors and all these papers. What do you think? Uh, and that's when I realized, all right, no one sequenced this thing. How come no one sequenced this plant? It's one of the world's like probably hottest pharmaceutical targets, yet it's uh, it's suppressed. And it's suppressed in many ways, like ivermectin's been suppressed. Uh, the ivermectin story right. isn't new. This, is, this has been going on for 80 years in the cannabis space where they have turned it into a stereotype of Bob Marley and, and Cheech and Chong when in reality there's 100 cannabinoids in there and only one of them is is what you might deem recreational and the rest are all therapeutic neuro uh, neuroactive compounds. Uh, and so here I, I go I mentioning Bob Marley. I'm, I'm part of the problem. Yeah. No, you're not. I'm a, I'm a reggae fan, so don't get me wrong. You'll catch me <laughs> in every slightly stupid show that comes to Boston. But uh, it's... Uh, that wasn't necessarily the impetus. It was more that uh, I was in a position in my career where I, I wanted to tap out a little bit and I wanted to go in a new direction because I had a non-compete. This looked like total fertile ground. And uh, so we put the genome public for everyone in 2011. And uh, we, we've been doing that ever since. We were sequencing people's genomes and trying to make the data as publicly accessible so that it can float all boats in the field. And I do think we can decentralize medicine if we get people thinking about what they can grow in their backyard, what's in their diet, as you brought up health, uh, part of part of medicine is not getting sick. <laughs> we we forget that in this uh, CDC world, we're we're always treating symptoms. We're not treating wellness. We're not we're not aiming for wellness. And uh, you can find that in a, in a lot of um, these medicinal plants that are readily available to you, aren't under the FDA's grasp, and uh, you can just cut them out of the entire equation if you get smart about it. Well, they don't want you to get smart about it because there's no money in healthy people. But, um, you know, you bring up cancer and the other result of the jab is these turbo cancers. Uh, do you have any insights on those? Well, I'm accused of having insight on that. I don't know that I do. Um, so it, it, back in the spring, I sequenced one of these vaccines and found an SV40 promoter in the vaccines, which shouldn't be there. And that's something that has been listed on as a, a, car, a sequence, I should say, that binds to P53, which is a, a tumor suppressor gene. Does it cause cancer? I don't know. There's a lot of debate in the literature as to whether SV40, there, there was a virus that contaminated the polio vaccine, um, and that was the full virus of SV40, and, the, and that they can put into, into animals and it will cause cancer. Um, they still debate whether it causes cancer in people today, just like people are going to debate whether these vaccines kill people 20 years from now. But uh, I suspect if you review that literature with a more cr critical eye uh, that you've earned going through COVID, you'll probably realize they're they're covering up the fact that SV40 probably caused some cancers. 
so some of that virus, about 9% of it, is actually in the vaccines uh, at low amounts, but billions of copies in every single injection. And there are some people taking seven of these injections. So um, so that, that can create a mutagenic burden. Um, that alone probably won't cause cancer, but you know, if you have you know, lymphocytopenia and all these other penias that, that, that John brought up, uh, on top of this IgG class switch and, uh, the spike protein itself having some toxicity, you know, these three insults can probably create a perfect storm that, that drives these turbo cancers. Uh, and you still have to get half the community out there to believe they're occurring, which is still shocking me that they don't. Uh, but I think John's book makes a really clear case that, yeah, they're occurring and they're at a higher rate and there's no denying that. Exactly. I mean, it's just yet another thing. It's like along the lines of all the young people dying suddenly. It's just kind of clear. We, we've never seen anything like this before. Suddenly we're seeing it. What happened? You know, you either think COVID is causing all this, but it seems like a lot of us who never took the jab are just in fine health, like nothing's gone on. And the people that have taken the jab are having all kinds of issues. So it's pretty much that clear. But so, John, you were about to finish up your story. You said on the fourth anniversary of your son's death, you had an even stranger occurrence. Yeah, well, I don't know if it was even stranger, but it, it, um, it, let me just finish up with the cancer thing real quick. Uh, Massachusetts 2023, more than 400% of normal secondary lymph node cancer. Bone marrow cancer is also through the roof. Those are the two that make blood components. So your marrow makes all three, uh, red, white, and platelets, and uh, your, your lymph is mostly making white cells. So my data has shown for 18 months that the cancer first appeared in the blood and blood-forming organs. Um, so yeah, I, I was in a bad mood on the fourth anniversary of my son's death, went to the gym to work it out, and um, <clears throat> you know, just real depressed and thinking about the last few few years and I haven't, I haven't worked in a long time. Um, I need to get a job at some point. I got to sell my house. Um, and I'm just real down and maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe God doesn't want me to do this. And then, um, I go to put my hat in the locker and a guy says, I like your hat in the locker room. And I'm like, Oh, great. I'm going to get in a fight over my, uh, MAGA hat. <laughs> my sister gave me uh, a MAGA hat. So uh -oh. I, <laughs> I wear it in the what gym you crazy? in Massachusetts. You're wearing a MAGA hat in the gym? You're glutton for punishment, man. Yeah, in Massachusetts, behind the blue wall. So uh, I turn around almost ready for a fight, you know, and because one guy did walk up behind me on the scale one time, and I turned around. You know, I'm naked, sitting on a scale. I look at him. Is there a problem? I'm just looking at your hat, you know, and I'm ready to have You're a naked with, with a MAGA hat on, John? that's weird no this you was kind no, of deserve, you kind of deserve a fight at you know that what point. you're right no i wasn't i wasn't no this was before i went to work out. yeah okay. you're right yeah. um yeah that was on my way out not my way in so anyway okay. that aside i just said are you serious the guy said yeah uh, no i really like your hat i'm like oh okay i wasn't sure and he said yeah i know what you mean so um he said uh god loves you just like who the hell heck says that to somebody out of the blue? And I'm like, well, why did you say that? What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, like, what, what's going on? And and I said, uh, and he just said, you seem like you needed somebody to tell you that. I said, oh, I can tell I'm in a bad mood. And he's like, yeah. Uh, and I said, can I can I tell you a story? And uh, he said, yeah. And I started telling the story that I told you about 
second anniversary of my son's death being in the car you know john chapter 14 verse 6 the way the truth and the life and um i get to the point where and then the light turned green and i put the phone down and i heard on the radio and i just i was talking to this guy in the gym i just stopped and i froze and he looked at me he didn't ask why i stopped he just smiled at me do you know why i stopped the song came on the radio in the gym in that exact moment when i got to that part of the story wow. and i just sat there i started crying <laughs> like are you kidding me <laughs> what is going on and kevin's never heard this part of the story before um no, i don't tell the, the one to me that's yeah it, it freaked me out big time um and you know i've been going to the gym for years never saw the guy before haven't seen him since he was he said he was 71 or 72 he had a ponytail he was probably like five foot eight i'm six feet he's like five seven five eight thin guy uh he had he had been to vietnam um and uh i, I don't know joseph i just um my belief has been challenged for my, my faith has challenged for a long time and these two things uh it's just i gotta keep going i i gotta i gotta get some justice for all these kids who were killed and get these these crazy demons out of here you know the globalists the whoever's doing this we gotta make it smaller communities decentralize everything um i have my whole big economic plan i i get into the book of you you lose people at the margins of normalcy when you centralize stuff like medicine if anybody has anything different from what's normal they're going to be misdiagnosed because ever since EBM, the doctors have been taught since 1992, roughly, in North America, it's it's taken over every single medical school, and they all defer to what I call the laptop god on the wheelie table. You used to look your doctor in the eyes and tell him your symptoms. Now he's got his head turned, he's typing into the little laptop god, and then he turns back and looks at you, then he turns and types it in, and it tells him how to, how to prescribe uh, medicine to you. And um, he's not going to deviate from that because if he does, he's going to get investigated. Or if something happens to you, he's going to get sued for malpractice. So they don't they don't practice medicine anymore. They're just AI robots who do what the central authority says. And so you're going to have a lot of people dying at the margins of what I say the margins of normalcy. Um, anyway, you know that's that's my my deal there. Well, it's amazing, man. It's inspiring. You know, I, you know, I'm sorry again for the loss that you you've endured. But you know, this is the, the strange way we evolve on planet Earth. And, and it does bring us to places where we're willing to put our lives on the line to try to help others, you know, and and so I commend you for the work you're doing. Tell people where to find your book and where to find you, John. Thank you. Um, the book will be at therealcdc.com. I hope the site will be up by the end of the weekend. Right now, you can just put your e email address in there and you'll get a notification by email when, when the book is available. All right. Thanks, John. And Kevin, tell people where to find you real quick. we got 20 seconds. All right. You can find me on Twitter and on Substack. My Substack is uh, anandamide at Substack. That's the endogenous cannabinoid that runs your uh, your, your entire immune system. So. Awesome. All right, guys, thanks for all the work you're doing. And let's hope things are shifting in the direction of people being healthy and allowed to be healthy. Keep listening, everybody. We'll be right back with more.